Welcome back to the Stock Car Racing Time Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Naiman. Today, you're listening to episode 33, the 1997 running of the CMT 300 from the New Hampshire International Speedway. This was the 25th Cup Series race of the 1997 season, and it would be the second visit to the New Hampshire International Speedway. This would be the first time that the NASCAR Cup Series visited New Hampshire for a second race. The inaugural race was run in 1993, and the winner was Rusty Wallace. Ricky Rudd won the race in 1994. Jeff Gordon won the race in 1995. Ernie Irvin was the victor in 1996. And Jeff Burden had won the July race in 1997. With the purchase of North Wilkesboro, with Bob Bear, the owner of New Hampshire International Speedway, purchasing half of interest in North Wilkesboro, and Bruden Smith purchasing half interest, they both got to move a Winston Cup race to their track. Texas had already run their race in April, and now Loudon was having the opportunity to have a second NASCAR Winston Cup date, and this race was being run after the Richmond race. So it wasn't exactly the same date as the North Wilkesboro race. A couple times throughout the broadcast, TNN mentioned that this would be the weekend that the North Wilkesboro race would be run, but that's actually incorrect. So the previous schedule was after Richmond, they went to Dover, Martinsville, and then Wilkesboro was that last short track race of the season before the series headed to Charlotte. As we take a look at who would the favorites be for this race, you had to have Jeff Burden up there, certainly. Burden had won the race back in July, although he was battling some vestibular issues and inner ear issues. Dale Earnhardt had to be a strong contender. He had had an excellent run and finished in the second position back in the July race. Dale Jarrett had a very strong car until he experienced engine problems, so you had to consider him to be a serious contender too as well. Now, one driver that struggled back in the race in July was Jeff Gordon. He just never was able to get a good handle on the car and finish multiple laps down. And it really was probably the worst of the races thus far that Jeff Gordon had run from a handling perspective. He'd had worse finishes when he'd been involved in crashes at Texas, Dover, the Pepsi 400 at Daytona, and Bristol night race. But that was by far the worst they ran just from how the car ran, ran and handled the entire race. So other things to talk about as we look at this race at New Hampshire, we hadn't had a chance the last couple of podcasts to talk much about NASCAR silly season. And this, of course, refers to drivers getting a different ride, sponsor changes, all that sort of thing. And we had a couple really busy podcasts because we were talking about Jeff Gordon's pursuit of the Winston Million at the Southern 500 at Darlington. And then the following week at Richmond, we had all the discussion about Dale Earnhardt's health problems at the Southern 500. Let's take a look at the puzzle pieces that have already been announced for the NASCAR silly season as drivers prepared for new sponsors, team owners, and car numbers for the 1998 NASCAR Winston Cup season. Sterling Marlin's long relationship with Morgan McClure Racing was over. He was leaving the number four Kodak car to go drive the number 40 car for Felix Sabatis. The new driver for the number four Morgan McClure Kodak-sponsored Chevrolet would be Bobby Hamilton. Bobby Hamilton had driven the past few seasons for Richard Petty in the number 43 car and had brought the Petty Enterprises team back to victory lane, winning a race in the 1996 season at Phoenix and also finishing in the top 10 in points. There was no driver announced at this point for the number 43 car. Robbie Gordon would be out of the number 40 car 
the first announcement was at the end of the season, but he actually would be out of this ride after running just one more race at Dover. Sterling Marlin, as we said earlier, would be joining the car and it would have sponsorship from Coors Light. Robbie Gordon's plans were undecided for the 1998 season. He was talking to Winston Cup owners, but was also considering driving an Indy car in either the CART or IRL, IRL series. Jeff Bodine would be back in the number seven car, but QVC would not be back, and Jeff Bodine had a new partner in Jim Matei. Hot Strickland would be back in the number eight car, and he would still have sponsorship from Circuit City for the Stavola brothers, but they would switch from Ford to Chevy. Lake Speed would be back in the number nine Melling ride, and it would still be a Ford, but they would have new sponsorship from Cartoon Network. That meant that the number 29 Gary Bechtel team would be losing their Cartoon Network sponsorship at the end of the season, but they plan to have rookie driver Jeff Green back in the race car for the 1998 season. Brett Bodine had already removed sponsorship from Close Call for failing to live up to their financial obligations, and he was searching for a new sponsor for the 1998 season. A new team would be Bill Elliott having a second team with part ownership from Dan Marino. The sponsor would be First Plus Financial. It would be the number 13 car, and the colors would have similar colors to the Miami Dolphins, and of course, 13 was Dan Marino's number. The driver would be Jerry Nadeau. We had first met Jerry Nadeau this season when he started to drive in the Cup Series for Richard Jackson, number one car, and he had extensive open-wheel experience in Europe as well. Ted Musgrave would be back in the 16 car for Jack Roush, but Family Channel would leave as the joint sponsor of the 16 car, and it would be exclusive sponsorship from Prime Star. Daryl Waltrip had been linked to a lot of different sponsors, but had no announcement at this point in time, but we knew that Parts America slash Western Auto would not be back on the race car for the 1998 season. Ricky Craven was the subject of many rumors. He had had a great start to the 1997 season, finishing third at the Daytona 500 and scoring a top five at Rockingham. But Craven had struggled with injury and a lot of mechanical problems in the number 25 car. But both Budweiser and Ricky Craven will be back in the 25 car for the 1997 season. But they would actually... Laid in the going, announced they would change numbers to run the number 50 in honor of NASCAR's 50th anniversary, and this would be a one-time thing for the Hendrick team. We already talked about this announcement, but one of the biggest announcements was that Kenny Irwin Jr. would be driving the number, number 28 familiar Robert Yates car sponsored by Texaco Havoline. That meant that Ricky... That meant that, excuse me, that Ernie Irvin was out of that ride and Irvin was going to go drive the number 36 Skittles Pontiac for MB2 Motorsports, which this would be a second year team. That meant that Derek Cope needed a new ride and Cope would move on to the number 30 Bahari Racing Pontiac, which would have sponsorship from a subsidiary company, a Pennzoil gum out for the 1998 season. Johnny Benson had vacated the 30 car ride for the 1998 season to go drive for Jack Roush. It would be a Ford Taurus and it would be sponsorship from Cheerios, General Mills, and the car number would be number 26. Jack Roush was going to expand to a five car operation because he was also taking over ownership of the number 97 John Deere team, which was driven by Chad Little and was currently a Pontiac owned by Greg Pollux along with Mark Rippon. But Mark Rippon the NFL player was diversing its interest in the team 
and this would become a Ford Taurus team, meaning that Jack Roush was going to have five teams for the 1998 season. Ken Trader was going to be back in the number 33 car, with sponsorship from Skull, and still driving for Andy Petrie. There had been rumors that Ken Trader was going to get reunite with Budweiser for sponsorship, but that did not pan out. We talked about earlier, Richard Petty was still looking for a new driver as Bobby Hamilton was leaving, and there were few different drivers that had been rumored as possible drivers for this team. Kenny Wallace was going to be back in the 81 and still have sponsorship from Square D, and High League Myers had extended their sponsorship for another three seasons, and Dick Trickle had been extended for at least one more year of driving. David Green would be back in the number 96 car with Cat sponsorship. One other puzzle piece still to be determined for the 1998 season was what was going to be up with Kyle Yarbrough. There was questions about whether RCA or John Andretti would be back in the race car and who the driver might be for that season. One new team that we would see for the 1998 season was a team that would be owned by Dale Earnhardt. So Dale Earnhardt Incorporated was moving its Bush team up to the Winston Cup Series. And the driver would be Steve Park, and there would be sponsorship from Pennzoil. At this time, it was announced that it would be the number 14 car that Steve Park would drive. And Park, of course, had driven this car in some select races in the 1997 season. Another new team would be a team that would be Sponsored by Tabasco, and the driver would be Todd Bodine in number 35 Pontiac, as Bodine gave another shot at the Winston Cup Series as well. So I think that gets us up to date on most of the major silly season moves. We'll continue to update these as the podcast continues on, as we continue to review the races of the 1997 NASCAR Winston Cup season. Qualifying for the 1997 CMT 300 at the New Hampshire International Speedway took place on Friday afternoon, and it was Ken Schrader winning the pole, giving him a sweep of the poles at Loudoun. His lap speed was 129.182 miles an hour. The second fastest qualifier was Bobby Hamilton. Third fastest was Brett Bodine, who had his best qualifying effort of the season. Fourth fastest was rookie Mike Skinner. John Andretti grabbed the fifth fastest lap. New England native Ricky Craven was sixth fastest. Rick Mass had one of his better qualifying efforts of the season, seventh in the number 75 Remington Arms for Thunderbird. Wally Dollenbach had a solid qualifying effort in eighth, was an excellent qualifying effort for Lake Speed in the Melancoir. He qualified ninth. Bill Elliott, who had had a pole at Reach- Richmond the week prior, qualified 10th. Cal Petty had the 11th fastest lap. Bobby Labonte qualified 12th. Jeff Gordon, the points leader, was 13th fastest. Jeff Bodine qualified in 14th. And Darrell Waltrip rounded out the top 15. Now, this was a lot of really interesting names in the top 10. You had Ken Schrader, who had not won a race since 1991. Bobby Hamilton had one career victory, the 1996 race at Phoenix. Brett Bodine had one career win, the third qualifier at North Wilkesboro in 1990. Rookie Mike Skinner had never won. John Andretti had picked up his first career victory this season at the Pepsi 400 at Daytona on July 4th weekend. Ricky Craven had never won. Rick Mast had no career victories. Wally Dollenbach had no career victories. And Lake Speed had just one career victory in the late 80s at Darlington. Bill Elliott had not won since 1994. 
Cal Petty had not won since the first race at Dover in 1995. Bobby Labonte was looking for his first victory since the Atlanta race in 1996. Of course, Jeff Gordon had already run nine, nine races that season. He was kind of the oddball in this field. Jeff Bodine hadn't won since the 1996 Bud at the Glen. And Daryl Waltrip had qualified 15th. And he had not gone to victory lane since the 1992 Southern 500 at Darlington. Other notable qualifiers included Mark Martin, second in points. He was 17th fastest. Dale Jarrett, third in points, was 19th fastest. Ted Musgrave was 21st fastest. Jeremy Mayfield was 25th fastest. Dale Earnhardt qualified 30th quick. Dave Marcus, after a long streak of missing races, got in the field with the 32nd fastest qualifying effort. Ricky Rudd continued to struggle in qualifying with a 37th place effort. Jeff Burden qualified 39th. Ernie Irvin qualified 40th, taking a provisional. Robert Presley was in the 77 car, and he got a provisional in 42nd. And Terry Labonte opted to take the past champion's provisional and start in the 43rd position. One note on Jeff Burden, he had been experiencing a lot of vertigo or dizziness due to issues with his inner ear, and there was a lot of questions that Burden was going to be able to make it the entire race. He admitted that he'd really, really been struggling, and he was hopeful that there would be an early race caution and they had Todd Bodine in the pits to relief drive. The drivers that did not qualify for the 1997 CMT 300 included Lance Hooper, who failed to qualify in the number one Richard Jackson car. Since Richard Jackson was the owner of the number one car, this is the first time in history that this team failed to qualify for a race. Steve Park missed his second race of the season, trying to get the number 14 Burger King Chevrolet for Dale Earnhardt Incorporated into the field. And Kevin LePage failed to qualify in the number 91 Joe Falk ride. The 1997 CMT 300 would be a 300 lap, just over 317 mile race run under partly cloudy skies in the Granite State. An interesting fact that was mentioned by the TNN crew was that just one driver who had qualified in the top 10 for this race had won a race this season, and that was John Andretti at the Pepsi 400 at Daytona. As we talked about earlier in the podcast in the qualifying segment, there were many drivers in the top 12 that had had lengthy losing streaks or had never won a NASCAR wins the cup race. In addition, they mentioned that it had been in 194 races since pole sitter Ken Schrader had won his last cup race. The green flag came out and Ken Schrader and Bobby Hamilton were on the front row and Schrader was able to beat Bobby Hamilton into turn one, but Hamilton was able to get down in front of the third place car and run second. In the second lap of the race, Mike Skinner got very wide in turns one and two. Bobby Hamilton began to make a challenge to the inside of Ken Schrader off of turn four as the drivers completed the first two laps of the race. Schrader still had the lead at the start-finish line. But eventually, Hamilton, who had the inside, was able to race side-by-side -side with Schrader through turn two and onto the backstretch. He was able to complete the pass in the middle of turns three and four, and Craven got inside Ken Schrader to battle for the second position. Bobby Hamilton led the third lap of the race, but very quickly, Craven got to the inside of Hamilton after already passing Schrader. Craven was able to grab the lead in turn one, and he came around to officially lead the fourth lap of the race. There had been three leaders in the first four laps. Brett Bodine was able to get around Bobby Hamilton and move into the second position in turn three. Ken Schrader, was, the pole sitter, was fading early in the race, and he had dropped back to sixth place just five laps into the race. With 20 laps complete in the race, New England native Ricky Craven was the leader. Bobby Hamilton was running second. 
John Andretti was in the third position. Brett Bodine was running fourth. Wally Dollenbach was up to fifth. Paul Sitter, Ken Trader was sixth. Rick Mass was running seventh. Lake Speed was eighth. Bill Elliott was running ninth. And Jeff Gordon had worked his way up to the 10th position. Another driver who had been on the move in the early laps was Jeff Bodine. He had moved into the top 10, but he'd also had contact with Jeff Gordon and Cal Petty early in the race. Ernie Irvin was charging his way up through the field. He had started outside of the top 35, and he was already up to the 20th position just 35 laps into the race. Dale Earnhardt was making an early strong charge, and he'd worked his way up to 16th. Ken Schrader started to get his car going a little bit better later in the run, and he grabbed the fourth position from Wally Dollenbach on lap 38. Up front, Bobby Hamilton was closing in on Ricky Craven. He was about a second behind. With 50 laps complete in the race, Ricky Craven continued to lead. Bobby Hamilton was second in number 43 car. John Andretti was running third. It was a good early run for Rick Mast. He was running fourth. Jeff Bodine was up to fifth. Good day for Lake Speed early in the race. He was sixth. Jeff Gordon was now running seventh. Ken Schrader dropped back to eighth. Cal Petty was in ninth. And Dale Earnhardt was running in the 10th position. Brett Bodine, who had had a promising early start to the race and was running fourth 20 laps into the race, was lapped after 50 laps in. Dale Jarrett was running 19th, and he hadn't made a lot of progress from his starting position. Ernie Irvin continued his charge up to the field. After starting 40th, Irvin was running 13th, 58 laps into the race. And Dale Earnhardt was up to the 8th position. 60 laps into the race, Jeff Gordon was able to crack his way into the top 5. Bobby Hamilton was able to pass Ricky Craven in turn one, and he officially took the lead of the race on lap 65. The New England native Ricky Craven had led 61 consecutive laps. Ken Schrader, meanwhile, was struggling, and he had faded out of the top 15 65 laps into the race. The very first caution of the race came out on lap 69 when Jeff Bodine spun in turn two after having slight contact from Jeff Gordon. Yellow flag pit stops would ensue. Jeff Burden, who was ailing from... His dizziness issues decided to get out of the race car and let Todd Bodine get in. It was bad luck for Ken Schrader. He had made a pit stop just before the caution had come out, and he was caught a lap down and was now in the 35th position. Bobby Hamilton won the race off a of pit road. Ricky Craven was second. Bill Elliott was third. Rick Mass was fourth. John Andretti was running fifth. Mark Martin was sixth. Dale Earnhardt was seventh. Jeff Gordon was an eighth. Ricky Craven was ninth, and Cal Petty rounded out the top 10. Ken Schrader decided to stay out under the caution period, and that allowed him to start in front of Bobby Hamilton and be on the tail end of the lead lap. The race would restart on lap 76, and on the first lap, Hamilton was able to pass Schrader in turn three and relap him. Craven was able to get around Bobby Hamilton in turn four and take the lead as he officially led the 78th lap of the race. Hamilton regained the lead on lap 82, and there had been six lead changes in the early going of the race at New Hampshire. On lap 83, Jeff Gordon and Ernie Irvin both passed by Dale Earnhardt to move into seventh and eighth position. With one-third of the race complete, 100 laps in, Bobby Hamilton was the leader, Ricky Craven was running second, John Andretti was third, Mark Martin was up to fourth, Rick Mass was continuing to have a solid day in fifth, Ernie Irvin was sixth, Jeff Gordon was running seventh, Dale Earnhardt was 8th, Bill Elliott was ninth, and Cal Petty was in the 10th position. Bobby Hamilton was leading Ricky Craven by approximately 3 car lengths. On the 104th lap of the race, Bill, uh, excuse me, Ernie Irvin moved into the 4th position, 
and Dale Jarrett had worked his way up to 16th. Jeff Gordon cracked the top five on the 110th lap when he passed Mark Martin. 125 laps into the race, it was Hamilton as the leader, Craven in second, Andretti third, Ernie Irvin fourth, and Jeff Gordon fifth. Mark Martin was running sixth, and Dale Earnhardt was having a solid day in the seventh position. On the 127th lap of the race, Ernie Irvin was able to grab the third position from John Andretti. And Ricky Craven, a few laps later on lap 130, was able to grab the lead from Bobby Hamilton. Hamilton had led 48 consecutive laps. Ernie Irvin then quickly got around Bobby Hamilton and moved into the second position. And Jeff Gordon was able to get around John Andretti in turn three and move into fourth. Irvin and Gordon appeared to have the two fastest cars on this long green flag run. Bobby Hamilton got big loose in turn one, and Jeff Gordon was able to grab that third position. Hamilton, who was starting to struggle with the handling of his car, dropped back to sixth. Ernie Irvin was closing in on leader Ricky Craven. He was only a couple car lengths back. When the race came back from commercial, Jeff Gordon was now running second, and Ernie Irvin had been relegated to the third position. Gordon was able to get to the inside of, his, of Ricky Craven in turn two and pulled side-by-side side on the backstretch. Eventually, Gordon completed the pass in turn three and officially led the 149th lap of the race. Ernie Irvin and Mark Martin both bypassed Ricky Craven to move into the second and third position. Green flag pit stops were underway, and Ernie Irvin completed a 19.5-second pit stop. Jeff Gordon pitted on lap 157, and his pit stop was a blazing 18.3 seconds. Mark Martin, Rick Mast, and Jimmy Spencer all led a lap during the exchange of green flag pit stops. Jeff Gordon was able to regain the lead of the race after all the leaders pitted on lap 161. He was now leading Ernie Irvin by 4.6 seconds. Gordon had gained nearly a second and a half during the pit stops and the subsequent laps afterwards. Jeff Bodine spun again on lap 167, but no caution came out. John Andretti had had a very poor green flag pit stop that dropped him from the 5th to 13th position. On lap 175, the running order was as follows. Jeff Gordon was the leader. Ernie Irvin was running second. Second in points, Mark Martin was third. Jeff Gordon's teammate Ricky Craven was running fourth. It was a strong day for Jeremy Mayfield, number 37, Kmart Ford Thunderbird, for Cranifest Racing, he was fifth. Bobby Hamilton was running sixth. Dale Earnhardt was hanging in there in seventh. Bill Elliott was having a solid day in eighth. Dale Jarrett had cro- cracked the top 10 in ninth. And Ted Musgrave ran in the 10th position. On the 178th lap of the race, Dale Earnhardt passed Bobby Hamilton and moved into the sixth position. The TV broadcast announced that Jeff Green had been forced to the garage area and he would ultimately finish in the 40th position. The second caution of the race came out on lap 199 when Robert Presley, driving a number 77 car, had an accident in turn three where he'd hit on the driver's side of his car after spinning around. Presley would not finish the race and be credited with a 43rd place finish. The drivers had about approximately 40 laps on their tires after a green flag pit stops, and they did most decided to come to pit road, and the majority took on two tires. After the pit stops, Ricky Craven was the leader, Jeff Gordon was in second, Mark Martin was third, Ernie Irvin was fourth, Jeremy Mayfield was fifth, Dale Jarrett had worked his way up to the sixth position, Earnhardt was running seventh, Ted Musgrave was in eighth, Bobby Hamilton was in ninth, and Bill Elliott was in the tenth position. The race would restart on lap 206, and Mike Skinner had immediate problems as he was very slow on the racetrack 
and he had to pit for a flat right front tire. Skinner would have more trouble later in the race and eventually finish in the 25th position. Ricky Craven slipped in turn three, and Jeff Gordon was able to grab the lead on the 207th lap of the race. Ernie Irvin then was able to get around Jeff Gordon on lap 223. Just as this happened, Hutch Strickland spun in turn two with contact from Michael Waltrip, and the third caution of the race came on on lap 227. There would be yellow flag pit stops, and Ernie Irvin would decide to take on two tires, but Jeff Gordon and Ricky Craven opted for fuel only. Jeff Gordon was able to get out of the pits first, with Ted Musgrave in second, Craven in third, Bill Elliott in fourth, and Ernie Irvin in the fifth position. The race would restart on lap 231, and now Jeff Bodine had spun, and he took out Ricky Rudd in turn four. Rudd had serious damage to the front and rear of his car and would be credited with a 42nd place finish. Ever since that victory at the Brickyard 400, it had been many races where Ricky Rudd had experienced problems with the exception of a top 10 finish at the Southern 500. This resulted in the fourth caution of the race on lap 236. And one driver who was having a very strong run was Steve Grissom. He had now worked his way up to the sixth position. The race would restart on lap 246 with Gordon as the leader, his teammate Craven in second, Ted Musgrave running third, Ernie Irvin in fourth, and Bill Elliott in fifth. So you had Craven and Musgrave running second and third with just over 50 laps to go, and neither driver had ever won a Winston Cup race, and you had Bill Elliott who had not won since the 1994 season. Ernie Irvin was quickly able to get around Musgrave and move into the third position. It was then reported that Musgrave was having some type of battery issue. Then, Brett Bodine backed his car into the turn two wall, and we had the fifth caution of the race on lap 259. Brett Bodine had significantly shorted the rear end of his car, and that great qualifying effort of third went to waste as he finished five laps down in the 33rd position. The race restarted on lap 263. Gordon still leading, Craven in second, Irvin third, Steve Grissom up to fourth, and second in points, Mark Martin in the fifth position. Jeff Gordon was easily able to clear the lap car of Dick Trickle getting into turn one, and Craven was able to get around Trickle in turn three, and he was now about two and a half car lengths behind his teammate Jeff Gordon. Chad Little spun in turn three and also made contact with Sterling Marlin, but there was no caution. Then Ricky Craven got big loose off of turn four, and this allowed Ernie Irvin to get to the inside of Craven on the front stretch. Irvin was able to get around Craven in turn one and move himself into the second position. Just behind them, there was a massive wreck. When Sterling Marlin spun in turn two, there was also serious damage to the front end of Terry Labonte's car and a small fire under his race car, and the front end of his car was all torn up. Derek Cope had suffered damage to the left front fender, and Jeremy Mayfield had gotten damage as he had nosed into the backstretch wall. The TV crew reported concerns that second in points Mark Martin was also showing some smoke from his car. Most of the drivers involved in this accident ended up having poor finishes. Sterling Marlin was already running poorly and would have been a disastrous season in the number four car. It had already been announced that he was moving on to drive the number 40 car for Felix Sabatis in 1998. He was credited with a 39th place finish. Terry Labonte ended up not finishing the race in 41st, and Jeremy Mayfield had a promising run, would end up a lap down in the 25th position. This big melee brought out the sixth caution of the race on lap 266. Mark Martin was concerned about his right front fender after he'd had contact with Steve Grissom, but Dale Earnhardt had pulled up under the caution and told Martin that it looked like there was enough clearance between the fender and the tire. 
The race restarted on lap 273, and let's restart set the top 10 for you. Jeff Gordon was leading. Ernie Irvin was second. Ricky Craven was running third. Steve Grissom was fourth. Dale Jarrett made it two Yates cars in the top five, running fifth. Ernie Irvin was sixth. Bobby Hamilton ran in the seventh position. Mark Martin was eighth. Dale Earnhardt was ninth. And Mr. Excitement, Jimmy Spencer, ran in the tenth position. There were 21 cars on the lead lap. Both Gordon and Irvin were easily able to clear the lap car of Dick Trickle in turn one. Then Chad Little spun around in turn two, but there was no caution. Steve Grissom was able to pass Ricky Craven and move into third position. On the next lap, Ricky Craven made contact with Steve Grissom in turn two, and he backed off. While Craven was backing off, Dale Jarrett dove to the inside of Ricky Craven and went very low on the backstretch on a move to get inside of Craven. Unfortunately for Jarrett, he drove too hard into turn three, and his car slid up the racetrack coming off of turn four, and Craven was able to pass him back. Bobby Hamilton took advantage of Dale Jarrett being pinned in the outside groove, and he took away the fifth position in turn three on the 277th lap of the race. Ernie Irvin was being beginning to close in on Jeff Gordon. Bobby Hamilton was able to pass Ricky Craven for the fourth position on turn two. When TNN came back from commercial, they announced that the seventh cost of the race had come out on lap 286. Jeff Bodine had spun on the front stretch, but the replays were inconclusive if there had been contact or not. The race restarted on lap 290, and this would be a double foul restart because we were not inside of 10 laps to go. Gordon was the leader. Ernie Irvin was second. Bobby Hamilton was third. Ricky Craven was fourth. And Dale Jarrett ran in the fifth position. Matt Yoakum a pit reporter for TNN reported an interesting story talking about 18-year-old Steve Letarte, who was a crew member for Jeff Gordon, and his dad worked for Yates Racing, and they were always razzing about each other about which team had won a race. This, of course, is very funny looking back, of course, as Steve Letarte would end up being Jeff Gordon's crew chief starting late in the 2005 season. With a double foul restart, Gordon and Irvin were easily able to clear Dick Trickle coming off of turn two. Johnny Benson spun in turn one and hit the wall, but no caution came out with 10 laps to go. Then Mike Skinner spun on the front stretch and ended up suffering serious damage to the rear end of his car. Michael Waltrip, Ken Schrader, and John Andretti were all involved in the accident, and also Rick Mast and Bill Elliott got some damage. After Skinner had spun, unfortunately, Ken Schrader plowed into the rear of Michael Waltrip. This brought out the eighth caution of the race on lap 293. Ernie Irvin, Wondering if the race would not get back to the green flag, raced Jeff Gordon extremely hard back to the start-finish line, but came up about a car, a car length short of grabbing the lead. After a clean race that only had had one caution for the first nearly 200 laps, we had now had seven cautions in the final 101 laps. The longest green flag run had been just 21 laps. It was disappointment for Ken Schrader, the pole sitter. He would be credited with a 37th place finish. NASCAR feverishly tried to clean up the track, but they had, had to put a lot of speedy dry down on the track, especially in turns one and two. The race would restart with two laps to go, setting up a green-white checkered finish. Now remember, at this time in NASCAR Cup racing, there was no requirement that the race had to finish under the green flag. NASCAR had done an excellent job cleaning up all the carnage from the wreck to ensure a green flag finish to the race. Also, it would be a single foul restart because we were under 10 laps to go. 
Gordon was the leader. Ernie Irvin was second. Bobby Hamilton was third. It's a great day for Steve Grissom in fourth. Ricky Craven was fifth. Dale Jarrett, third in points, was running seventh. And Mark Martin, second in points, was running ninth. Gordon got a good restart on Ernie Irvin and led by about a car length and a half as he got into turn one. The white flag came out, and as Gordon was entering turn one, Rusty Wallace hit the wall on the front stretch. Gordon was able to negotiate down the back straightaway, get through turns three and four, and beat Ernie Irvin back to the start-finish line by about one and a half car lengths to pick up his 10th win of the season. Gordon had also won 10 races in the 1996 season, giving him back-to-back double-digit win seasons. He had won 10 times in the first 25 races of the 1997 season, giving him a 40% win percentage. Gordon had led the most laps in the race, 137 laps, and picked up the 29th career victory. This had to be sweet redemption for Jeff Gordon and Ray Evanham, because this was probably one of their worst races in terms of how the car had handled earlier in the season. For the first Loudon race back in July, Gordon had struggled all day with an ill-handling race car and had to be a good feeling to come back and pick up the victory. Ernie Irvin had led five laps and finished in the second position. Bobby Hamilton finished third, leading 62 laps. This was his second best finish of the season behind a third place, behind a second place finish in the Martinsville spring race. Steve Grissom tied a career best finish in a season best finish by finishing fourth. He had also been fourth in the July race at New Hampshire International Speedway. It had been an amazing day for Ricky Craven. He had struggled through much of the 1997 season with injury. He had led 91 laps and had picked up his first top five finish since he finished in the top five at Rockingham, the second race of the season. This had been a great day for Craven. Because after those first two top five finishes at Daytona and Rockingham, he had struggled mightily. He was involved in a practice crash in happy hour and had to start at the back of the field in the third race season at Richmond. He was involved in crashes at both Atlanta and Darlington. And then it got even worse when he was in that horrific practice crash at Texas, which caused him to miss multiple races. So to be a great feeling for Ricky Craven running in the Northeast, a favorite son of New England to come home fifth. Dale Jarrett had finished in the sixth position. Mr. Excitement, Jimmy Spencer, led one lap and finished seventh. Dale Earnhardt finished eighth, but had now been 52 races since he last won a cup race. Mark Martin finished ninth, leading one lap. Hutch Strickland had one of his best runs of the season and came home tenth. Bill Elliott finished in the eleventh position. Cal Petty was twelfth. Joe Nemechek finished thirteenth. Jeff Burton, who got relief driving from Todd Bodine, was credited with a 14th place finish and Bobby Labonte finished 15th. Other notable finishers included Rusty Wallace, involved in that last lap crash, finished 21st. It was a tough day for Ted Musgrave, who had battery issues and finished 30th. Daryl Waltrip came home in the 32nd position, and Ricky Rudd finished 42nd. The race took just under three hours and 10 minutes to complete, in large part due to there being seven caution periods in the final 101 laps. The average speed of the race was just over 100 miles an hour, and there had been eight caution periods for 49 laps. Jeff Gordon's margin of victory over Ernie Irvin was just over two-tenths of a second, and the race featured 15 late changes among eight drivers. Now let's take a look at the point standings. Jeff Gordon had picked up 42 points on second place Mark Martin, and he now led Martin by 139 points. It had been a big turnaround for Jeff Gordon since that wreck at Bristol, and Mark Martin had finished second and gained the points lead. 
Gordon won at Darlington and won at Loudon, while Martin finished in the back end of the top 10. And Martin had that power steering problem at Richmond, which resulted in a finish outside of the top 20. As a result, Gordon had gained 152 points on Mark Martin in the last three races and actually had a bigger points lead on Mark Martin than when they entered the Bristol night race. Dale Jarrett was third in points, 188 points back, and he had lost 35 points to Gordon. This is important because Jarrett was now outside of the one-race swing if he had led the most laps and won the race and Jeff Gordon had finished last. Jeff Burton was fourth in points, 332 points back. Terry Labonte was sitting fifth in points, now 455 points behind his teammate. The defending NASCAR Winston Cup champion had been eliminated from any hope of winning the NASCAR Winston Cup championship. This was hard to believe because just eight races ago in July, Terry Labonte had left with the points lead at Loudoun. But what followed was a wreck and a poor finish at Pocono. And then the fall two weeks later at the Brickyard 400, he had had an engine problem. Dale was sixth in points, 589 points back of the lead. There would not be an eighth championship for Dale Earnhardt in the 1997 season. Dale, Bobby Labonte was seventh in points. Bill Elliott was eighth. Ted Musgrave was ninth, and Jeremy Mayfield, number 37, Michael Cranifest Ford, was sitting 10th in points. Ricky Rudd's bad day at Loudon had dropped him out of the top 10 in points. He was now 11th, 42 points out of the top 10. Johnny Benson was technically tied for Ricky Rudd in points, but on the strength of Rudd's two wins, Benson was technically 12th in points. Rusty Wallace was 13th in points, 114 points behind Mayfield. Ken Schrader, the pole setter, who had had a tough day, sat 155 points behind Mayfield. He was 14th in the point standings, and Ernie Irvin was 15th in the standings. So when we look at the big stories at Loudoun, it was a great day for Jeff Gordon. This was a race that he had struggled mightily in with the handling of his car in July. So to bounce back and win the race, it was a big deal. Gordon had also stabilized things in the points with those last three performances and had a nice cushion over both Martin and Jarrett. Now, Gordon and Everham knew things weren't over. Last year, they had a great cushion on Terry Labonte with about four races to go and had problems at Charlotte. With the completion of the CMT 300 at New Hampshire International Speedway, there were just seven races left in the NASCAR Winston Cup season. Next week, the drivers would turn their attention to Dover Downs and run the 1997 MBNA 400. Traditionally, Dover had been a 500-mile, 500-lap race, but because many of these races had typically turned into four-hour marathons, track officials in NASCAR decided to shorten the race to a 400-mile event. The last race in the spring at Dover was an absolutely crazy race where multiple leaders experienced problems in the final 100 laps, and Ricky Rudd narrowly edged Mark Martin for the victory. For the Stock Car Racing Time Machine podcast, I'm Tim Naiman. Thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you next week.